what your country can do for you. There's a last time I've got to be in the lead. The Giants have the Peter, oh, you little mouse, so won't you go away? One ringy-dingy. Hand off to Griffin, cracks the middle, gets the five. Touchdown, Ohio State. Oklahoma, where the wind comes sweeping down the plane. I'm interested to know, Gracie, who's your choice? Need you ask, George. Time now for Spinning My Dad's Vinyl. Here with all his skips, scratches, and pops is my dad, Frank Vaccarello. Thanks, sweetie. And thank you for tuning into episode 47 of Spinning My Dad's Vinyl. Now, this is a cool collection. Benny Goodman performed a famous concert in 1938 at Carnegie Hall, which happened to be recorded and released 12 years later. However, this album was called from CBS radio broadcasts from the previous year and not released until 1956. So get ready for some raw Benny Goodman taken from the early airwaves with Volume 47, Swings King, Concert 2. Now, for this episode, I'm going to read song intros that were provided uh, in the liner notes. And these were written by George Avakian. Riding High is a rare treat. A great Jimmy Mindy arrangement of a 1936 pop tune, which somehow Benny never recorded in a studio. Harry James blows some mad trumpet on this to split solo honors with Benny. The band bites into this score with a vim, usually reserved for favorite originals, not current tunes.
There is Riding High, written by Cole Porter and performed by the Benny Goodman Band. We'll hear a couple from the whole band on this episode. Harry James, Ziggy Elman, and Chris Griffin on trumpets. Red Ballard and Murray McCurchin on trombones. Jaime Scherzer and George Koenig on alto saxophones. Artie Rolini and Vito Musso on tenor saxophones. Just Stacy on piano. Alan Roos on guitar. Harry Goodman on bass. Gene Krupa on drums, and of course, Goodman on clarinet. Okay, why this album? I've been a big fan of Goodman's music for a long time. His songs filled the library at the first radio station I worked for, WBBG. Sing, Sing, Sing was always a good tune for a a bathroom break. Uh, But I always liked the way Benny made that piece of wood sound. It was mellow, yet could bite through the noise made by the biggest of big bands. Listen to his solos. So effortless. And he's got some pretty talented musicians with him too, especially on this record. The King of Swing played the happy music that filled my house while I was growing up, and my dad still had plenty of his CDs and played them quite often, found uh, a lot of them in a box when we were cleaning out the condo. So that's why this record for this episode. Okay, next up, Nice Work If You Can Get It is a marvelous jam tune. This is one of George Gershwin's lesser-known but better compositions. It was a brand-new song when Benny put it on one of his broadcasts with the trio. Unlike present-day band leaders, Benny didn't play a great number of current pops, but he did all the best ones, and somehow there seemed to be more of them than there are now. But as somebody pointed out, that's what they were saying back in the 30s, too.
know, even just saying the title of this tune is melodic. Nice work if you can get it. Written by the brother team Ira and George Gershwin. Now, this is just Benny's trio on this song with Teddy Wilson on piano and Gene Krupa on drums. All right, let's introduce you to the album that I picked for this episode. Benny Goodman, 1937 through 1938, Jazz Concert Number 2, The King of Swing, Volume 1. It's on the Columbia label, number CL817. It's the Benny Goodman Silver Anniversary Series. It's a vinyl LP album compilation mono format, was released in 1956. It's of the jazz genre, and its style is big band and swing. I'm going to read actually the first column of liner notes here because I think it actually is so very interesting. Again, by George Avakian. The fantastic success of the Benny Goodman Carnegie Hall Jazz Concert Album, issued by Columbia in 1950, 12 and a half years after the apocal event took place in the unsuspected but fortunate presence of a first-class recording machine, was one of those things which Columbia and Benny Goodman figured could happen only once in a lifetime. We hardly expected that it would happen again, but it did. This is it, and it's even better. This is the same all-star Goodman Trio quartet and orchestra. Harry James, Lionel Hampton, Gene Krupa, Teddy Wilson, Ziggy Elman, Jess Stacy, Chris Griffin, and all the rest of the great musicians who helped Benny make swing a household word in the 30s. They play with the same fire and abandon which characterized the Carnegie Hall album, and they're inspired by the applause and cheers of the same fans who worshipped them as jitterbugs and Bobby Soxers have never idolized any other band before or since. But this time the music was accurately balanced for the microphone by radio engineers, for these recordings are made from air checks of late evening broadcasts from all over the country. Most of the original discs were taken off the air by a fan named Bill Savory, a Columbia Records engineer, who also did the remarkable editing job which produced these final master tapes. The final result is the most authentic original Goodman sound ever captured on record. Whether the band was broadcasting for the Manhattan Room or the, of the Hotel Pennsylvania or the Polymer in Los Angeles. Because the band kept up its broadcast while on tour in 1937, it's now possible for a Goodman fan to enjoy the unique experience of going on the road with the band and hearing how it played in an ever-changing environment, an experience I almost had myself that summer after spending much of my senior year at the Horace Mann School for Boys hanging around Benny's band as a favorite friend of Benny's backstage major domo, Dwight Chapin. The broadcast gave us another advantage, not possible in the case of the Carnegie Hall album. We frequently had six or seven versions of the same tune to choose from, so that there was no need to put up with the flagging inspiration or minor flaws. In brief, these air checks have made it possible for Columbia to gather together the absolute cream of the greatest swing band in jazz history, caught at its very peak moments. And that's how I think it should be. I'm so happy that I found this album in my dad's collection. All right, let's talk about the Discogs.com value. They don't value this album very highly. The highest came in at $5, the median at $1.90, and the lowest actually only a penny. Now, I found a couple on eBay from $12 to $16. Amazon had one for 2 bucks. 
Well, my dad's record is in fair condition. It's a little hissy, but nothing like we've heard from parts of his collection. Now, the album cover is in poor condition, as usual. There's a tear at the bottom scene. The spine is cracked. Uh, he's got a green magic marker with line with posted above it on the back. And not only does he, does he have his address label stuck on the front cover, which is normal, it's covering our old address, a house we moved out of in 1964. So I'll value my dad's record at 50 cents. Back to the liner notes. And two from the quartet. During the summer of 1936, Benny was in Hollywood working on a movie called The Big Broadcast of 1937 with a cast that ran the gamut from Stokowski to Martha Ray to Bob Burns. John Hammond took him to a joint called the Paradise Cafe to hear Lionel Hampton, who Benny had heard of as a fine drummer for the Les Height Band, which had recorded with Louis Armstrong some six years earlier. In the interim, Lionel had developed into a fantastic vibraphonist, and one hearing was all Benny needed to convince him that Hamp would be a tremendous asset to his organization. All that led up to this song intro. Vibraphone Blues, an improvisation on the 12-bar blues, was one of the first sides cut with Lionel, but as with every other repeat recording in this album, it is included in this collection because this performance is superior to the original recording. For his vocal, Lionel uses a new twist on an old blues and then salutes each member of the Goodman Trio with whom he joined forces to create the quartet. On the Sheik of Araby, the boys settled down to serious instrumental business. Benny did this tune in 1940 for Columbia with his sextet, but this is an original for the quartet made from a broadcast during Benny's run at the Palace Hotel in San Francisco. Swing along long time 
swings, Mr. Wilson. Played a long, long time. When Mr. Krupa beat those ribs, he don't let you down, is it?
That was the quartet on both vibraphone blues, written by and sung by Lionel Hampton, and the Sheik of Araby, written by Francis Wheeler, Harry Smith, and Ted Snyder. Let's learn a little bit more about Benny Goodman. Since we read a really long, thorough bio in episode 14, we're just going to remind you who he was. Benjamin David Goodman, born May 30th, 1909 and died June 13th, 1986, was an American jazz clarinetist and band leader known as the King of Swing. In the mid-1930s, Goodman led one of the most popular musical groups in the United States. His concert at Carnegie Hall in New York City on January 16, 1938, is described by critic Bruce Eder as the single most important jazz or popular music concert in history. Jazz's coming-out party to the world of respectable music. Goodman's band started the careers of many jazz musicians. During an era of racial segregation, he led one of the first integrated jazz groups. He performed nearly to the end of his life while exploring an interest in classical music as well. Okay, back to music. Harry James and Benny again contribute to fine solos in an instrumental version of Sunny Disposition, a fine pop for which George Gershwin's brother Ira wrote the lyrics. Once again, Benny never got around to cutting this tune for posterity, although it was one of the favorites in his was the full band with Sunny Disposition, written by Ira Gershwin and Phil Cherig. Time now for this episode's interesting side note, and it has to do with this 1938 concert I keep referring to. 
In late 1937, Goodman's publicist, Wynne Nathanson, suggested that Goodman and his band play Carnegie Hall in New York City. The sold-out concert was held on the evening of January 16, 1938. It is regarded as one of the most significant in jazz history. After years of work by musicians from all over the country, jazz had finally been accepted by mainstream audiences. Recordings of the concert were made, but even by the technology of the day, the equipment used was not of the finest quality. Acetate records of the concert were made, and aluminum studio masters were cut. The recording was produced by Albert Marks as a special gift for his wife, Helen Ward, and a second set for Benny. He contracted Artist Recording Studio to make two sets. Artist Recording had only had two turntables, so they farmed out the record set to Raymond Scott's recording studio. It was Benny's sister-in-law who found the recordings in Benny's apartment in 1950 and brought them to Benny's attention. Goodman took the discovered recording to Columbia and a selection was issued on LP as the famous 1938 Carnegie Hall Jazz Concert. Now, this record is not in my dad's collection, so I thought I would share this info with you during this episode. Next is this whirlwind salute to the town where the men all chew tobacco and the women wicky-wacky-woo. <laughs> the quartet gives this standard, Nagasaki, a frantic workout wrapping it up with a slowed-down coda and a good-evening-friends finish, which brings out once again the group's love of contrasts and a plain old good time.
There's the quartet with Nagasaki, written by Harry Warren and Mort Dixon. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. The album I chose for this episode had three really great elements. It was live music that wasn't recorded in the confines of a studio, but on the stage where musicians could feed off the crowd and each other. I have and will always appreciate live music over studio recorded because it's the more natural way to listen to music. These tunes were recorded from the radio. Like I said in past episodes, I love learning history through radio broadcasts, and this was music history being made. I just don't think the collectors on Discogs.com know what they have. And, of course, the incomparable Benny Goodman. And we're going to finish this episode with another one of those standards you've already heard and will hear again on Spinning My Dad's Vinyl with liner notes from George Avakian. Of all the numbers in this batch of Resurrectia, St. Louis Blues is the one I most enjoy playing for the generation of Benny Goodman fans who hung around this band the way I used to. Some of them haven't recovered yet from the exposure to this happy miracle, which took place during a one-nighter broadcast from the Hartford Armory. As the regular arrangement with solos by Benny and Zig Elman draws to a close, Benny senses that the boys are getting an extra boot out of Fletcher Henderson's score this evening, so he flashes the sign to keep it going. Harry James fets up, and Gene Krupa gives him a two-beat platform, solid enough to hold all of Connecticut and several counties of southern Massachusetts. Then, the leading citizen of Cape Girardeau, Missouri, Jess Stacy, takes over for two choruses. And finally, the band comes back with some fierce riffing, closing with the venerable Oh, Not Enough with Josephine, which, which Do- Josephine used to play for Napoleon on Homemade Virgin.
the full band with St. Louis Blues, written by W.C. Handy. And there you have selections from Benny Goodman's live radio recordings, 1937 and 1938. So thanks for tuning into Volume 47, Swings King Concert 2, however you did. If you want more information about this show, head over to spinningmydadsvinyl.com. I'll be back next week with all my skips, scratches, and pops for Volume 48, Al Hurt Swingin' Dixie. Until then, go with the flow, my friends. (laughs) 